our hope is that this information will be used by policymakers and legislators to understand the people that they're representing a little bit better. And so we thought it was very important to make the point that the majority of people who are helping put you in office are women. Welcome back to Prognosis Ohio. I'm Dan Skinner. And that was Emily Campbell, the new president and CEO of the Center for Community Solutions. Listeners are well acquainted with Community Solutions, which does great work helping policymakers and others understand what we need to do to improve things here in Ohio. On today's show, I talk with Emily about how Ohio women are doing in general and from a number of specific perspectives, including their ability to age well, the persistent wage gap that hinders women economically, and of course, in terms of their health. I've appreciated Community Solutions' support of this show in 2023, but also just their willingness to come on and share their expertise with us. Speaking of the end of 2023, stay tuned for a big announcement about the future of this show, which I hope to have out in about a week or two. We're not going to be going away, so don't worry, but we are going to be turning the temperature up a good deal to see if we can use this platform to get a bit more directly at the heart of what works in this state and what doesn't. That's all I'm going to say about it right now, but stay tuned. I'm excited, and I think you're going to be too. Okay, here's my conversation with Emily Campbell, President and CEO of the Center for Community Solutions. So you've launched your time leading community solutions uh, appropriately, right? With a focus on the status of women in Ohio. I have to tell you, it's, it's overwhelming, but also exciting. 88 fact sheets, hundreds of pages of really important data. It's an amazing resource that I hope policymakers are going to take seriously. And we're going to be sending those out and linking to them and all of that. The name of this show, obviously, is Prognosis Ohio. So I'm going to ask you, what kind of trajectory are Ohio women on in your view? This is a kind of high level question, right? And what, what, what's the outlook in your view? So when we took a look at indicators of health, social, and economic conditions that impact women across communities in all 88 of Ohio's counties, what we see is that women and girls lead in so many areas, but there are many places where we continue to follow behind. You know, this work is particularly important to me. I'm the, only the third woman to lead the Center for Community Solutions in 110 years. And so, you know, issues impacting women and girls um, are particularly close to my heart. And so it was wonderful to work with our team of experts to be able to compile this information. I would say that overall, we are seeing things like the fact that Women hold the majority of college degrees in Ohio, yet participate in the labor force at lower rates. Um, they also earn less on average than their male colleagues and counterparts. And that's true um, across counties, really anywhere you look, and is also true for every industry in Ohio. There is not a single occupation where women who are working full time are earning more than men who are working full-time on average. So let's take a couple of those issues, you know, piecemeal and get a little bit deeper into them. Uh, you know, this this first one that you mentioned, right? So, so the good news, right? Women are earning a majority of college degrees in our state. You know, I teach at a medical school and we talk often about how um, the majority of our students are also women, the, fu the future workforce uh, in, in medicine. 
and yet they're more likely to be in poverty. So I guess I want to ask yes. you, is this just a lag in seeing the benefits of higher education? That's one theory out there. Or is there a kind of structural barrier, even if we have majorities in certain roles, that they're not making it to leadership roles or positions of power? That is a great question and one that has been um, studied quite a bit. I, I love the idea that perhaps it's just a lag, but unfortunately, that's not what we're seeing in the data. Because even among young adults, we're seeing these disparities, you know, people who mo most recently obtained some of their degrees. You know, some of the things that, that we suspect are happening are systemic. Um, we see the fact that women are much more likely to be caregivers, both of children and of other adults than men are. You know, we've heard about the mommy tax or some of these other things that happen. Um, and so we are certain that there is a good deal of uncompensated work that's happening in our state and in our country, really. Um, and the pandemic showed that quite a bit. You know, we, we were hoping that when we looked at different occupations, we would see some places where we don't have a gender gap. But in fact, one of the largest ones is in the legal profession in Ohio. Um, we think that has to do with the fact that women are less likely to be partners um, and to be working at the highest echelons of leadership in the legal field, more likely to be things like paralegals, which earn less, even if you're working full time. Yeah. And you also know it. I mean, this has been a story that we've told for a long time uh, about, you know, disparities in pay. Currently, uh, women are making about 82 cents on the dollar, right? So that's got to be a huge drag. I also just want to ask you, I mean, as with all things with data here in Ohio, as you know, and your report does a good amount of this, there's an intersectional question. There's the question of, 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 of white women, black women, and, and other like communities of color, how communities of color are impacted. So how do we understand a little bit of this question of college degrees, poverty, uh, when we start to look at those kinds of uh, intersectional considerations? Absolutely. There are intersectional considerations everywhere in this data, both when we think of demographics and also the way that these indicators work together in people's lives. Speaking specifically about poverty, we see that women with children are more likely to be in poverty than all women. Um, and some of the challenges that come with raising a family we will be releasing a similar fact sheet, a little bit expanded for the whole state of Ohio in January that breaks down some of these indicators by race and ethnicity, as well as by gender. And we see the same things that we see in almost every indicator, which is that people of color are behind where their white counterparts are on almost every measure. So on this show, we take health very expansively, and we've talked a little bit about the health of our democratic systems, the health of our governmental responsiveness. And, you know, we've all talked about frustrations with the legislative process, things like that. You report that women make up more than half of the electorate, right? And, and they vote at higher levels than men, um, but they're not equally represented in elected office. In fact, you know, currently women hold about 29% of seats in the General Assembly. So that's pretty, pretty poor. What do you owe this gap to? Again, this is another one of those questions where there would appear to be some power here, but it doesn't manifest in actual power. Yes. 
The good news on this topic is that we're seeing improvement and we have seen more and more women seeking and obtaining elected office being elected um, over the course of the last few decades. So we're either at a high or at a near high for the number of women. It still is eclipsed by the number of men. Um, and if we look at some of those intersectionalities, you know, there are very few um, women of color who are serving in elected office, you know, in the state legislature and across other local um, and federal elected offices. So it, for us, it's a question of um, activating some of that power and recognizing some of that power. You know, one of our hopes is that this information will be used by policymakers and legislators to understand the people that they're representing a little bit better. And so we thought it was very important to make the point that the majority of people who are helping put you in office are women. We've talked a number of times on this show about aging. It's something that I know has been very important. We talked with John Corlett about this. In fact, um, it's a really big problem and a looming crisis in our state and something that we just haven't really done a great job with yet uh, from a policy perspective. We've talked about the underlying conditions that are enabling women to live longer than men, right? The health story has kind of been told. In Ohio, you report that you know women are also remaining in their homes and their communities at older ages than men. This is a kind of good news, bad news sort of finding as well, uh, you know, because older women are also twice as likely or about twice as likely to be living alone as their male counterparts. And as you noted, they're doing tons of caregiving, uncompensated caregiving, which makes their lives much more difficult. So I, I want to talk about this a little bit. How do we understand this dynamic of aging women, and, and what, what can we do in the state to start to get at this? Yes, well, you've hit on some of the reasons that we see this, this dichotomy or this dis disparity. Women are living longer. They are remaining in their homes and communities, which is where most people who age want to stay. Well over 90% of people say that they want to remain in their homes and communities. But in order to do that, as we age, people need support. Um, and it's support not just with the medical help that we think about long-term care or home and community-based care, but also help with things like grocery shopping, with cleaning, with some of the activities of just daily life. Um, and what we see is that it is women providing this help for women, both in the paid professions, the paid caregiving professions, you know, things like home health aids, much, much, much more likely to be women. And women of color as well, right? And women and, of color. And that's yeah. where we start to see some of the, the wage gap coming into this as well. But, uh, you know, seeing the, the effects of the caregiving on someone's career who has to leave work early to go pick up their, their loved one, uh, their mom, their aunt, their sister, um, and take them to an appointment or help them with grocery shopping, you know, it adds stress and it takes away the time that people can spend doing something else. So really when we think about aging in place in this state, we need to be thinking holistically about what does that take? Not just the things that Medicaid may reimburse or that are tr more traditional healthcare that's moving out of the nursing homes and into communities, but also those things that become a little more difficult as we get older, especially for those who may have mobility issues. Yeah. You know, as, as I mentioned, I mean, the, 
the reports that you've issued are expansive and we have 88 counties in Ohio. So it's hard to talk about. And I always try to explain this to my friends back, you know, I'm, I'm a New Yorker originally, that Ohio actually has really diverse regional differences that people don't tend to appreciate. So I want to ask you on this question of aging a little bit and kind of the, 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 the role of women here. Are there real regional differences that are, are not- noticeable? I mean, you know, the obvious point would be that living in a city can be a little bit easier to get around, you know, especially get the kind of groceries you might need and things like that. But is that the whole story or are there other pieces that you find that we should be talking about? So when we look across the data for all of the counties, we see commonalities among sort of similarly situated counties. So the large urban counties, for example, Um, as you know, there's much more access to public transportation in those areas. So you can get around without driving. There are more resources available. There's more funding. There's more programs. Um, Some of those things, there's often more need, but can come with some really positive pieces of it. But we see counties scattered across the state that are somewhat similar. You know, the more suburban or exurban counties all tend to group together, you know, places like Delaware County and the like, uh, there in central Ohio, um, you know, are very similar to, say, Geauga County or Medina County here in northeast Ohio than they are to their peer counties right in the region. And so, you know, the the nature of the community, be it urban, suburban, rural, exurban, has a lot of influence or most of these indicators tend to go together in groups of those counties. And so it's a challenge when we think about Um, having thriving communities and places that often we need to look outside of our own individual regions to find solutions that might work for our community. Yeah. And and, and just to come back to something I said around transportation, because I know the transportation advocates who listen to the show will want a little bit more to say, and you, you suggested this, this is not to suggest that our cities have adequate transportation because they do not. And also the housing stock uh, is really different around the state and certainly not optimally set up for aging in place uh, with with a few exceptions. Absolutely. I want to ask you a little bit about the state of women in healthcare specifically. We've talked broadly around things that are really consequential for health and public health, but healthcare remains something where we, you know, these reports, they, they, they pull out a couple of pieces. You know, obviously, issue one, which legalized abortion, is a huge development in our state with major consequences. And we've seen some of these consequences, I think, of the way that vote went when we're watching the situation in Texas, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think Ohio wanted to be part of those kinds of national conversations. But these community solutions reports pull out a number of items that are worth highlighting. So first we should say, and you note this, Medicaid expansion continues to serve as a lifeline for Ohio women. Uh, We've made a lot of progress in closing the gap in healthcare access, um, at least in the formal sense, right? But 13 of Ohio's 88 counties are maternity care deserts, too, you you all point out. And another have really low access. So... um, the report notes that Ohio is in the middle of the pack nationally with maternal mortality. So I guess I just want to ask you, is the suggestion that these maternity care deserts are a key reason that's, you know, a key piece of what's dragging our maternal mortality you know, rates up? Um, or are there other reasons? Is it kind of a more comprehensive question? You know, when we look at uh, some of the data around maternal mortality, um, it is a place where 
and in health in general, you know, for many, many years, the problem was simply coverage. People didn't have health coverage. That problem was largely solved thanks to Medicaid expansion here in Ohio, and the data show that. I mean, what? Almost 95% of women of all ages, girls and women, have some form of health insurance coverage. So then we need to think about what else do you need to be able to take care of your physical well-being and your mental health um, and all of these other issues. And, you know, the issue of maternity care and some of these reproductive health issues are ones that impact women and only women um, by by virtue of, of our biology, the timing of this release was not an accident. We wanted to wait and see the outcome of issue one to um, think about what the next steps might be in trying to improve women's health. Um, because you're right, the landscape can look very different if people have access to a wide range of reproductive health services or they don't. Um, in, in terms of the maternity care deserts in particular, this is an area where we're seeing things head in the wrong direction. We are seeing more women living in areas that are maternity care deserts, which means that they have to leave their communities and their counties in order to uh, deliver babies in a facility, for example, um, which of course can add to stress and add to transportation issues. There's all these layers on top of it that we're starting to see. And so we really felt that it was important to point out that we do have more women who are living in these maternity care deserts, and that can have long-term implications for health, not only of women, but also of their children and the next yeah. generation of Ohioans. I, I guess I want to ask you, you know, when you think about these maternity care deserts, I study hospitals as part of my main um, academic profession. Hospital consolidation and closures and rural hospital closures are, are, are obviously a piece of this, I'm guessing. And there's also workforce issues. When, when you think from a policy perspective of things we could do to actually address some of these deserts, what are, what are some of the things you're looking at or that you would kind of bring up if you're talking to a, a legislator? Absolutely. The coverage of doulas through Medicaid is a very important one. Um, not all healthcare providers need to be uh, MDs or need to be physicians that we've seen very effective treatment um, and assistance in health with other kinds of providers. And so that's a very important one. And thinking a little bit more creatively about what it means to take care of one's health, ensuring that there aren't, you know, facilities can be important, but about 80% of our health is determined outside the hospital walls and outside the formal healthcare system. So ensuring that the kind of supports that are there to have thriving families and thriving people is really important. Ensuring that there are providers available that will take someone's insurance. Um, we're hearing in some areas that there are especially mental health providers that will either only accept new patients who have Medicaid or won't accept any patient, new patients who have Medicaid. So adding to the challenges that people have and finding the care and help they need for themselves and their families. So it's something that Community Solutions is watching very closely. And I think many of the answers lie in connecting with um, different places in the community. We, you know, we've seen great success in school-based healthcare, sort of bringing the doctors to school or the dentists to school. It's where, you know, children, school-age children spend most of their time. They miss less school. It's better for academics. It's better for their health. So some of those more creative solutions um, are something that, that we're interested in looking at. And then thinking also about the issue of telehealth 
That was a big change since the beginning of the pandemic was the availability of telehealth and different kinds of telehealth that can reduce transportation barriers, but doesn't work for everyone. So that's something that Community Solutions is thinking about a lot. And what are the lessons we learned during the pandemic in these moments of crisis that we want to apply in the future? Right. And here again, the, the question of maternity care and maternal mortality. I mean, we've talked on this show, just making sure that people who don't do data every day in their work understand that we can talk about, for example, you know, um, improvements in the in, uh, infant mortality rate, but we can, we need to, at that same moment, notice widening disparities often in those, those data. So it, it, we can do more than one thing at one time. And as you look through these reports, it's, 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 it's a, it's a nice service to remind people continually, there are a bunch of different stories that need to be told here. And really need to look at the communities themselves like for example uh, a hospital closure uh, uh, you know this is the kind of work i've done in my academic life i mean it becomes this community story of what that hospital meant to them and how you're going to meet their needs and people driving hours to deliver a baby and these kinds of things i mean it's becoming a real american story in a way that's exactly right and you know in issues like hospital closures we see the intersection of health economics, social conditions, you know, those are some of the biggest employers in some of these communities as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that we hoped to do with these types of fact sheets is pull a bunch of different information all together in one place so that people can see more of the full picture rather than some of the silos that we often get when we think about these issues. Right. And all of that data just in time for the holidays for people who need some reading, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, these, these fact sheets include over 160 indicators. We use 13 different data sources. Um, we have one for each of Ohio's 88 counties. So a huge amount of vetted, trusted, timely information that our experts have compiled together all in one place in ways that didn't exist before we released this information. So my final question, I'd, I'd like to zoom back out for a moment. We've gone through a bunch of like sort of details and, and policy focuses here. As you look forward to your work leading Community Solutions, I, I guess I would like to know a little bit where we should start. So you and I are talking today at a moment. So just a big announcement today. There's a bill on the governor's desk, an anti-trans bill that the children's hospitals and health advocates and others are really concerned about uh, whether this is going to produce a, a barrier. So there's there are things that we can notice that we're doing right, and then there are these moments of kind of just regression, right? As CEO and president, you have the ears of policymakers. So, what kind of how do you think about what to focus your conversations on? I'm guessing you look for places where you can find common interest and things mm -hmm. like that. But with regard to the status of women, what's some low hanging fruit, and what are some of the things that I don't know how long you're going to be CEO and president. Maybe you don't know either, but that you really, really want to be able to say, we did that. Absolutely. My strongest interest is in seeing thriving families and thriving communities and, and putting the people in the center. Um, and so thinking about what are the resources that people need to be able to take care of their health, to be able to take care of their you know economic or financial situation where are the levers? Where are the maybe more simple things that we can do that have a bunch of really good downstream effects? Or if we don't do them or if we make the wrong decisions can have all these other unintended consequences. I mean, a great example 
that always comes to mind is the child tax credit enhancements that the federal government did um, a few years ago. They were allowed to expire, but we had this shining moment where child poverty was cut in half by one simple, relatively simple um, policy solution. And so one of the things that I'll be talking to policymakers about are what are some of the things Ohio can do similar to that, that incentivize work, that help families and children. We know that growing up in poverty has all of these negative downstream impacts um, by looking at decades of data. So, you know, this is something that we can we can do something about and can have an immediate impact on families and communities. You know, uh, as somebody who talks to legislators and feels the kind of challenges of Columbus on a daily basis, I, I wish you luck in those conversations. I mean, I do think there are people who really care about outcomes. The, the governor has been a fascinating person with regard to some of what's in this report because he came into office and said children and parents and mothers are going to be a focus. So we're at a real crossroads. I think in, in terms of talking to policymakers, we really want to be based in the data and the information. And that's what we're trying to do is we get some questions from policymakers about why do we see certain things? Well, the data can sometimes help to illum illuminate that. And so this is part of how, how we work toward our mission to improve health, social and economic conditions is to make sure that people in power understand what's happening in their communities and what people are facing. All right, Emily Campbell, thanks so much and Happy New Year. Thank you for having me. This episode was produced by me, Dan Skinner. I received social media and production support from Nathaniel Powell. Special thanks to Patty Carlisle at Community Solutions for helping us to set up this interview. Prognosis Ohio is a member of the WCBE Podcast Experience and the Health Podcast Network. As always, be in touch if you have ideas for guests or topics or ways we can improve the show. In addition to giving us some stars or a review or just telling your friends about the show, consider chipping in a few bucks to our Patreon site, which you can get to through prognosisohio.com. Okay, be well, happy new year, and thanks for listening.